with that last week. Last week, we were sort of entering into the Christmas season, and, and we looked at Christmas being a message of hope, uh, that it's the light at the end of the tunnel, that it's the assurance in a dire situation and the confidence to overcome any overwhelming circumstance. Not because, not because it's on our part some irrational wish. Not because on our part it's us going, I hope so, us, us longing for something, but rather, um, rather trusting in the God of hope. See, it's not about us and how much we believe or how much we desire something to take place. If you remember last week, we looked at Psalm 33, verse 16, how it started off, no king is saved by his armies. If you remember that, no king is saved by the size of his army or the strength of his army, but rather because of the message of hope was given by a God who cannot lie, a God that keeps his word and a God that is able to bring it to pass. That's why our hope can be assured. That's why our hope can be confident. But there is a specific difference between the message of hope we looked at last week in comparison to the message we have this week where we look at the message of peace. And that's what we're looking at today, Christmas being the message of peace. You see, with hope, there is a small amount that can be attributed to what we do with this message with the choices that we make once we hear the message. We, we know the Word of God, we see the person of Christ, we're experiencing the moving of the Holy Spirit, and we understand the love of our Heavenly Father. But with hope, we can choose to put our hope in other things. We can choose to trust in other things. If you use that same passage from Psalm, Psalm 33, verses 16 and 17, we can choose to hope in the size of our armies. We can choose to hope in our own strength, just like we can choose to hope in the power of our horses as well. And, and what happens is if we choose to hope in those other things, we then have to suffer the consequences of that choice. Hey, Pam, the light, you're sitting in front of the light? Okay, no worries. So how is today's message of peace different from that message of hope? Well, we'll look, at, we'll look at the word together. If you have to bow your heads, we'll pray, and we'll look at this question together about Christmas being the message of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that our hope is fulfilled in you, that our hope is assured because you are a God that keeps his word, because our hope, Lord, is, can, can be strengthened by the fact that you are always faithful, that you never lie, and that you are all-powerful. And so we ask now, Lord, as we look into your word, you might help us to focus on you and you alone, especially at this time of year. Uh, as Sister Ellie shared, there are people that are more susceptible and more open to hearing you proclaimed. And I, I ask now that as we proclaim your word today, you might minister to each of our hearts. Help us to understand not only this message of hope, but this message of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... <clears throat> The thing that separates peace from hope is that peace isn't a response to something. Uh, peace isn't the result, uh, isn't the result of, of you doing something. Rather, peace is experienced from something else. Uh, see, you don't choose to be peaceful. You don't choose to make a situation become more tranquil or, or more silent. Um, Rather, peace comes from the absence of something else, to, for want of a better word. 
Um, for example, um, when we look at world peace, we think of a world without conflict. We think of a world without war. We think of a world without confrontation. That's, that's a lot of people's idea of what peace is. But I contend that even in the midst of such things, even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of struggles, even in, in the midst of frustrations or even stress, peace can still be experienced provided that peace has the right source. A great example of this comes from a few people that demonstrated hope as we look at the Gospels. They had hope in the chosen deliverer. They had hope in God's word. They had hope of God fulfilling that word. And you see that fulfillment come about in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, when the angels proclaim to the shepherds in the field, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. That person that the angels proclaimed was referring to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom when he was a young boy being taken to the temple was met by Simeon. And in Luke chapter two, verse 30, Simeon says of the Lord Jesus as a child, my eyes have seen, as he says to the Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. And who through the prophetess Anna gave thanks for the child to all who were looking to the redemption of Israel. This was the person of Christ. See, for Anna and Simeon, their lifelong hope in the promises of God then resulted in the peace of God coming upon them at the presence of Jesus. Their hope that they had for their whole lives was then replaced with the peace of God at the presence of Christ. Or to put it another way, the recipients of the assured calm, which is what peace can be defined as, is the assured calm that defied their circumstances. Now, a bit of a historical lesson. Israel is under Roman oppression. They are under Roman rule. Their spiritual leaders of the day were actually, for want of a better word, lackeys for the Roman Empire because they still got their money from the people and then sort of paid off the Romans on the side. So they had their power as religious leaders. The Romans had their power as being the oppressors of the nation of Israel. And you had the everyday person that was suffering under their rule. In all of that turmoil and all of that distress and all that frustration, we see Anna and Simeon through whom the Holy Spirit reaches and talks with and tells them that even in all of this, once they saw the person of Christ, they could experience the peace of God. Psalm 85 verse 5, the, second part, sorry, the first part of the verse says this, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, to his faithful servants. Now, we're not experiencing oppression like Israel did back in their day. But the reason why we might find ourselves absent of hope, why we might find ourselves absent of peace, why we might find ourselves instead filled with an anxious, unrestful, or even a chaotic spirit is because maybe, maybe we've become overwhelmed by our current circumstances. Or to put it another way, I've said that the second time already, I was the last time I'll say that, that 
Maybe we've taken our eyes off Jesus, the source of our peace. Maybe we've been focusing on our COVID pandemic that has been going on now for a couple of years. And then you have the, the stress and the anxiety and the fears of when a COVID pandemic of which we knew little about, to which we find there are vaccines to, or there are solutions to, or there, there are various things that can help. And then we had Delta. And then straight away, everyone starts freaking out again. And then the fears and the frustrations, and, and we're worried once again. And now we have the, is it, what's it, hey, Omicron. I always think of Unicron from Transformers. Sorry. But there's, there's, there, there you have, now, now you have this Omicron. And what's happening? You have this unsettledness starting over all, all again. People are starting to get worried. People, and then you have on the other side, what, I don't want to shut down again. I don't want to miss out on fellowship with you in person. I don't want to have to go back to speaking to a camera. Not that I don't mind speaking to a camera. But I don't want to go back to all that. But that's what happens. And, and because, because we're feeling such ways, maybe because we've taken our eyes off Jesus or we fail to see Jesus. You see, the circumstances didn't change for Anna and Simeon when they saw Christ. They were still under Roman oppression. They were still under Roman rule. The spiritual leaders were still getting paid off by the Romans. They were still the Roman lackeys. And yet, Anna and Simeon experienced peace. Why? Because they saw Christ. And if we don't see him, if we don't recognize him as the prince of peace, as being above or as being in control of or as working through all things, then we will miss out. We will continue with anxious spirits. We will continue with, with being unrestful souls. We will continue in chaos. So, when I refer to this Christmas message being a message of peace, I'm not referring to how we as a people are just to get along. That's not the peace that the Bible talks about, although that's the peace that a lot of us see. That type of peace is merely the result from something else. When I speak of the message of peace being referring to some sense of personal contentment and purpose, well, that type of peace is the result from something else as well. Nor is the message of peace, uh, uh, nor is the message of peace something that brings a solution to the internal conflicts and the internal wrestlings that we struggle with day after day, that internal conflict that takes place within one's mind and within one's soul, even within one's spirit. You see, that type of peace as well is the result of another type of thing or of another type of thing, is the result from something else. You see, this piece of getting along with one another, this piece of contentment and purpose, this piece of, of, of your own internal conflicts, that's not the peace that Jesus is seeking to bring. And the reason why I say that is because in Luke chapter 12, verse 52, we read the words of the Lord Jesus. He says this, Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No. I tell you, but division. I didn't come to bring you peace. I came to bring division. Now you might sit there and say, well, hang on a sec, but I thought Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I thought Jesus was all about bringing together people. Well, yes, he is. But the way he brings those people about or bring them together or do away with those things, those walls of separation, of division, he brings about when firstly we are right with him. That's the peace 
that he wants to bring us. Jesus' peace looks at first dealing with the relationship between himself and sinful humanity, between a loving God, a holy God, and a defiant man. That's the peace that God wants to take care of first. That's the peace that he wants to bring about. See, peace isn't about the I guess you could say, like I said, it isn't about the absence of conflict. Peace is about, well, divine peace, God's peace, is about knowing Jesus Christ. It's not the presence of conflict. It's not, sorry, it's not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of a person. That's the difference. God is about making you right with him. It's uh, in, in John 14, 27. And this is what he does. This, this is why when he says to, the, to his disciples, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now look at this. I do not give to you as the world gives. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It is not the peace that the world gives. There is complete difference between what Jesus offers as peace and what the world looks at as peace. I mean, because what does society say about peace? What, what, how can somebody live a peaceful, contented life? Now, there's compromise. Yes. That, yeah, anybody that's married, you learn about compromise. You learn about communicating. You learn about talking. You learn about discussing these things. But I can tell you this. When it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the gospel, of mess, the gospel message, that is not compromised. Regardless of what you say about it, God is still holy. God still judges sin, but also God still loves you. That's never compromised. And this is about us coming to God on his terms, not our own. See, the world's peace, what they give, they say this, you'll know peace if you're financially secure. The problem is this. When does having no financial worries stop you from worrying about life? When does having enough money do away with every care in the world? It doesn't. You just start worrying about something else. You know peace if you're physically healthy. I'm not the epitome of that, that's for sure. But if you're physically healthy or aesthetically pleasing to the eye, then you'll know peace. But when does that stop you from worrying about the way you look or about the way other people perceive you? That doesn't stop it. If anything, it gets worse. And what I've noticed about people, especially myself, is that how we are far more judgmental on ourselves about our appearances than other people. For example, and you probably all know this, and you'll notice it now if I mention it. So should I mention it? Yeah, I'll mention it. I've got this big gap in my front two teeth. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's huge. You could drive a bus through there. Right? And I'm very self-conscious about it. And like Ellie just said, what? She's never noticed it before. Because she never actually looks at me. But you know what I mean? But because, see, see what I mean? And so we, we, we're like this. So I start worrying. Like I was telling Nathaniel the other day. He says, how do you feel, Dad? You're 50 years old now. I says, yes, son, I'm old. I'm old. And then he goes to me, how do you feel? I says, well, son, this is the strongest I've ever been. And I'm cool, I'm 50 year old, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just the strongest I've ever been. Even in my prime, I haven't been as strong as I am now. I'm a lot slower, I'm a lot more pain, but I'm strong. But that doesn't stop me about worrying about other things. I still look at it, I see big ears. I've got no hair. 
I, I still look at my weight, and it's like 121 kilos. And I'm thinking, wow. You know what I mean? It doesn't stop you. It doesn't, does it? It doesn't stop you from worrying. So, that, obviously, that's not the answer then in, in peace about the way you look. It says, you'll know peace if you have the right partner and you settle down with that partner and have a house. Uh, you'll, you'll settle down. Everything will be fine. But when does that stop you from worrying about your partner or how your partner perceives you? When does that stop you about relational issues? When does that stop you worrying about various confrontations? Oh, they said this. Okay. It, it doesn't. The world promises peace and gives very little in return. You know else who does that? You know, you know what else does that? You know who else does that? Satan. Satan promises you the world and gives you very little in return. If anything, gives you nothing in return. Satan says, have a go at this. You'll be fine. You might, you might enjoy a fleeting pleasure that will leave you condemned within your own spirit. That's what the enemy does. That's what the, see, the world offers a lot, but has very, gives very little in return. That's why when Jesus says, when he says, you know, you, it's my peace. My peace is different from the world. See, the way the modern world seeks to create, discover, and impart peace basically says that if you have something, you'll experience peace. Jesus says that if you know someone, then peace will then be experienced. If you know me. Because in John 14, 26, Jesus speaks about the advocate, about the Holy Spirit who will be sent to teach his people all things and then remind them of everything that he had said. Thus, a peace that comes from knowing he is there. It is a peace that comes from knowing that he is involved. Philippians 1, 6. It is a peace of knowing that he keeps his word. It's a peace that knowing that he doesn't lie, as we looked at Titus chapter 1, verse 2 last week. And then what happens is when you understand in the knowledge of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith, what you'll find out is that there is this calm assurance, this, this confidence that rises regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And, and Psalm 138, verse 6 to 8, uh, if you've got your Bible's turn now and start reading it, it says this. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Through the, sorry, though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. The peace of knowing that God is directly involved with each of you, wherever you're at, with whatever you're going through, whatever struggles that you're having, he is there. He does not abandon the works of his hands. You are, according to Ephesians 2.10, what? You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And because you are his workmanship, he does not abandon the works of his hands. That's you. That's you. That's you. He does not abandon you. You look and you see. I remember being told this by my parents. I remember telling this to my children. I've heard other parents say this to their children. If you start something, finish it. If you start something, finish it. Why? And because it shows. It shows. I remember telling this to one of my children when he wanted to quit school. And he says, at least, look, you don't have to do well in your HSC, 
But as long as you do it, people look and say, at least he done year 12. He persevered. He got to the end. And so he did. And I said, and I said well done. At least that was there. He started it and he finished it. It shows that you get things done. I read here in the scriptures that that is what my God does with me. And that he doesn't start shaping and molding. And even though when I stuff up, even though when I make mistakes, he sits there, oh, Joe, yeah, yeah, no good. You're a lost cause. No. When I fall down, what does he do? He picks me up. When I've got a big trouble in front of me, an obstacle in front of me, what does it do? He helps me get over it. It's like that song. So high. You can't get over it. So high. Well, with Christ, he enables me to do that because he does not abandon the works of his hands. You are not abandoned. As we know, that he will never leave you nor, nor forsake you. An act that demonstrates, like I said, at the end of verse 8, that he has not abandoned his creation and he will never abandon his people. So that's why when you look at Simon, uh, Simeon and Anna, how they knew peace is the same way that we can know peace. And so I want to share with you just three quick Bible verses. Verses you all know, verses you all understand, verses that in and of themselves are a sermon to themselves. But we're just going to look briefly at each of them, okay? Philippians 4.7. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. You probably know this on top of your head. That is fine. Philippians Chapter 4, verse 7, says this. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do what? Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends. That word transcends means to be above, means to be apart from, means to be over. In the old King James, it says that the peace of God that transcends all understanding. It's, it's what I find interesting. It transcends all understanding. It transcends how you and I think it should work. It transcends what you and I believe about certain things. It transcends all of that. That's why we're told in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 not to lean to your own understanding. Why? Because the peace of God transcends that. And you've experienced it. You've seen this. But just for some reason, for example, even last night, so my wife was sitting up for the children today to make gingerbread houses. And because I wasn't planning on speaking long, uh, I thought, okay, better. she goes, oh, look, we'll put the houses together for the kids. I said, sweet, sweet. So, you know, I dropped her off, her and Faith off at the church, and I went home with the baby because we're looking after our niece, who, which I'll introduce because a lot of you were praying for Shawnee's baby, Gigi, and she's here today, which is really cool. Um, so a real answered prayer, so I wanted to bring it down to show you. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, so, so I got home, and then my wife calls me and says, oh, look, we've had some problems. Um, Faith's having some trouble putting the houses together. Can we swap? Can Faith go home? And, then you do. and it was like, I was tired. I spent the day at the Lees. I was tired, and I'm just feeling grumpy. But it was really, I was, I was just praying. And so when my wife rang, I said, can you come out? I got there about 9.30 last night. I said, oh, sweet. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I, there, was just, there was just this calm assuredness. I was like, okay, Lord, I want to see you be glorified in this, and we can reach out to the kids, that the kids can be ministered to. And before you know it, I'm just with the, with the, the icing and the gingerbread house. Bang, bang, bang. Oh, you're done. I'm doing a, I'm doing a gingerbread house in like five minutes. Like, yeah. And it, praise God, the 21 houses I did last night, are all still standing this morning. Praise God for that. And now, now they're probably all destroyed because the kids have decorated them. But 
It means that there's, a, that there's a peace that goes above and beyond the circumstances that we face because it's of divine origin. It's, 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 it's the way it originates with the God of peace himself and the, and the way our hearts and minds are guarded are set on things above, not on things of the earth. If you read in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, when he says to lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt and where thieves don't break through and seal. Why? Because your eternal treasure is far more secure. Your eternal treasure will outlast everything that takes place in this world. And you can be confident in that. That's why he says lay up for yourselves treasure because where your treasure is, what? There will your heart be also. That's where your focus will be. And so that's why the peace of God can transcend all understanding. It transcended uh, the Simeon and Anna situation, and it can transcend yours if you have your eyes on Jesus, if you see him. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We read this. You can turn it with your Bibles. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In Romans chapter four, he's talking about Abraham and the example of Abraham's faith. But he says this, through faith, we are justified. Justified means to be declared righteous. It means that we are, we are okay, I've used this illustration in the past, Many, many years ago, in the 90s, it's really funny saying that, in the 90s, so uh, do, you guys ever, do you guys remember the whole O.J. Simpson trial thing? Does anyone actually remember it? Raise your hand if you remember the whole O.J. Simpson thing. So what happened with O.J. Simpson when he uh, allegedly killed his wife? The first time that all went past, he was actually acquitted, so he was, he was set free. And the public kicked up a huge, huge stink. They were saying he's guilty. There was all this sort of evidence. But it didn't matter what people thought. The fact is the judge declared him innocent. The judge declared him righteous. And it didn't matter about the court of public opinion. It didn't matter what people's opinions were. The judge said you're innocent, therefore he could be set free. That's what the word justified means. The word justified is that even, <laughs> even though if you're declared uh, even if you're guilty, if you are declared innocent by the one in authority, that's what you go by. Now, we are told that we are justified by faith through Christ. It means this. I'm, I'm as guilty as what they say. I'm, I'm as guilty as sin. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I've done some horrendous things. I've thought horrendous things. I've responded in horrendous ways. And by all means, according to God's word, according to God's standard, me as a sinner deserve punishment i am guilty according to the word of god but because god so loved me he sent the son jesus christ to die on the cross for me because he rose again the third day he said if i put my faith in him if i believe in him then i can be what justified by faith i can be declared righteous and it doesn't matter if the enemy sits there and whispers into my ear joe you're such a sinful man yes but i've been declared righteous by the blood of Christ. When the enemy whispers and say, oh, you're so useless, Joe. You, you can't be loved. Well, yeah, that's true. I'm not deserving of love, but I'm declared righteous. I'm justified 
by God through Jesus Christ. That's what we've, and because I know that, I have peace within my heart that when I stand before the Lord, he'll say to me what? Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. That when I stand before God, he'll say, you are my son, you are my daughter, irrespective of what the enemy says, irrespective of what the lies the media portray, irrespective of how so many people that are antagonistic toward the Christian faith and toward God himself, whatever they say, doesn't matter. According to the Bible, I have been declared righteous. That's why I have peace. And because I have that peace being justified, what else do I have? I have access. I have access. I can go places that no other person can go who are outside of Christ. I can go other places. It's like when I used to work at the hospital back in Auckland, and you see, and you've seen this, and I've used this out, when you have staff only, and you walk up, you can go where no other staff member can go. Oh, no, not staff member. It's not like I can walk into a theater and start working on somebody. No, I mean, what I mean is, if I'm with the public, I could walk through a door, and they have to stay out there. Why? Because I have access. I have my little ID tag that sits there and says, I'm supposed to be there. And so, yes, I've walked into theaters and taken legs and feet around. I've, I've, I've seen people, the, the, I have went to a, somebody was operating on, operating on a spine. I saw a back opened up and looked at a spine. It was like one of the scariest things I've ever seen. But I had access. This is what we've been given in Jesus Christ. We have access to the throne room of grace, according to Hebrews 4.16. We have access to God the Father through Christ the Son. But we have access to so many places which people just don't understand. The fact that you, even a lot of the religions of the world today, the fact that you can sit down in your home, you can pray to God, where people say you're not in the right place, or you're not in the right position, or you're not in the right ceremony, or you're not in the right ritual. How can you be talking to God? Because I've been given access to God through Jesus Christ. That gives me peace. That's one of the blessings we have. We have peace with God. That word peace in the verse means this, to be at one with. We are now, through Jesus Christ, at one with God the Father. And the last verse I like is the peace that comes from a mind that is governed by the Spirit. In Romans 8, 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. A mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Galatians 5, 16 says what? Walking in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. This is the peace that the Christmas message portrays. When Jesus Christ came, the reason why hope was fulfilled is because now for the shepherds in the field, now for Anna, now for Simeon, the hope was now being fulfilled that enabled them to have peace that God is fulfilling his plan of redemption. That God, when we look at John 3.16, is setting in place the thing that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the beauty of Luke chapter 2, verse 14, when the angels proclaim the message of peace, it's that, it's that peace for humanity can be achieved and that their state before God can be changed from an enemy to a son, can be dealt with and taken care of from an outsider and an alien to a part of his kingdom. And that the goodwill that can be experienced by all mankind must first have its origins in being peace, or sorry, being at peace with God the Father. 
that the, that the, that the rest, sorry, the wrestling, sorry, that the wrestling to discover life's purpose, the, the struggle to fulfill life's meaning, the desire to live a life free of conflict, in other words, to live that life of peace must first be grounded in our peace with God. And that begins with seeing, knowing, and obeying Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Remember, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the knowing of a person, Jesus Christ. And that's who he invites us to know even now. Whether you're a Christian or not, the invitation for us to Come to him, all you who labor and are weary and heavy laden. And what does he do? He gives you rest. To come before him as a sheep that has gone astray, that he would leave the 99 to bring you back to himself. So that we would have that blessing of knowing what true peace is. And that peace will not be easily taken from us. When we go from here today, May this message of peace mean more than just a going through the motions, mean more than just the following of a ritual, but rather direct us to knowing him as our God, as our savior, and as our friend. Because that's what he invites us to. May you know true peace this Christmas as we look at the final message on Christmas Day being the message of love. So bow your heads and we'll pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, the, the bearer of peace, the prince of peace, the, the great peacemaker who can reconcile us as sinful people back to yourself. Thank you so much that you've allowed us this privilege to to come into your presence, to grant us access to you as our Father and as our God and how we can make our requests known to you. I pray that today we would know peace. I pray that today we would know you more intimately, that we would draw closer to you as you draw closer to us. We thank you for the promise of your word that when we do do that, when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. We pray that will happen for us now. Please help us to look beyond this world. Please help us to look unto eternity. Please help us, Lord, to be bearers of peace as we fall more in love with you and get to know you better. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly before that we ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. Unto you be glory in the church and in each of our lives, both now and forever, even to the end of the age. End of the age. Father, we commit ourselves to you, the God of peace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.